Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of SNTR Presents. This is going to be my talk on the Outriders Legendary Farm got patched in the demo. If you're listening to this on any of the other platforms where this hits, you can always catch me Monday through Friday in the mornings, kind of afternoon time, doing these talks at SNTRlive.com. I'm probably live right now. Usually when these hit the feeds, it's in the mornings when I am live on YouTube at SNTRlive.com. Now, a lot of people were not expecting this. I, for one, was not expecting a patch in the demo. Even though the demo is lengthy, I mean, there's a lot of content. There's a lot of there's a lot of things you get to see and play with and mess with all the characters, all their abilities. Well, not all their abilities. Sorry, half their abilities, and it's going for like a month. Okay, it, it's it's going for a pretty long time because the game launches on April first. So. It does make sense. I just wasn't anticipating it. I was not anticipating them sort of doing tweaks and adjustments in the middle of the demo. But I'm very encouraged by what I see here, and I want to break it down for you guys on why. Number one, what do they say? It is going out right now. Like, there's maintenance in the patches getting rolled out. We are going to do the Legendary Farm again this afternoon on the Captains, because that's actually not going away. So, let's talk about this. The developers of Four Outriders, People Can Fly, they recently announced on Reddit a series of updates and changes that would take place in the Outriders demo. Amazingly enough, they addressed two of the legendary farming methods that members of the community had been using. One of them is being patched while the other was left alone and even joked about. The transparency and honesty about the game and its rhythms and its play flow was actually refreshing and good to see. Now, before I jump into the talk, I want to address at least one thing that I saw this morning, which was a very, very common misconception. People were saying, I don't understand. It's not a live service game. Why are they updating it? Well, just because the game is not going to have live service features, but is launching as a complete package, doesn't mean they won't need to put in quality of life updates, get rid of bugs, glitches, exploits, etc. That's common in basically any game. Even if a game ships and doesn't plan to be live service, and what we mean by live service is, hey, here's the game, and in one or two months, we're expanding it. We're going to add new weapons. We're going to add new experiences. We're going to add new gear. They're not doing that, okay? That is not their plan in the short term. Now, long term, they have said they want to expand the game, and but they've said in their Discord that would probably be about a year from now, and I have applauded that. I'm going to talk about that at the end of the video. So just so we're clear, doing these sorts of updates does not sort of get rid of the fact that, like, oh, it's, <laughs> it's not a live service game, as in it doesn't have live service features is how they've described it. That doesn't mean they won't do updates and improvements. So first and foremost, what did they say? What, you know, what did, what did they outline in the post? And this right here is a straight copy paste. They said, while we do not want to prevent farming runs, we get it. The loot cave discovered via the triple chest run, as well as the store exploit, do not feel to be within the spirit of the game. To that end, we are redirecting farming efforts to mechanics in the game that may be more enjoyable for players to play through and repeat. Now, understand something. Their language here and their their argumentation, the logic is... This is not the way the game is meant to be played. They're not stopping you from something that's too generous. They're not stopping you from getting loot. They're saying, listen, we want this to be enjoyed, and this really isn't enjoyable. Truth be told, the chest farming method was terrible. You weren't getting stuff anyway, and the store exploit needs patch. You can't let people do that. They're going in and messing with timers and their system and getting stuff to roll over faster. That's that's an, that's an abusive, sort of cannibalistic way to play the game, all right? So... 
here's the four points that they're making that they're going to do epic items will no longer appear in shops and vendors within the demo so that you know that's going to change chests will no longer drop legendary items now a lot of people have said oh that's kind of a bummer even if i'm playing legitimately i can't get a legendary you have to understand you gotta go watch my my video on the end game okay that you're if once you are sort of pursuing legendaries you're not going to be doing it in chests in low level content or early content you're going to move on to greener pastures you're going to move on to expeditions and and grinding and and crafting okay you have to understand early game routes are not intended to be a source of end game loot okay here are two good points they said side quest rewards on repeat runs will now have a chance to drop legendary items that's really good it gives you a reason to repeat a side quest for that chance okay that wasn't happening now it's happening they're trying to and i've said this so many times about another game rather than just punish behavior or negatively micromanage behavior they're incentivizing behavior that they think is more healthy incentivize the behavior you want don't just micromanage this is what i would consider to be a robust or a fully orbed solution not just taking away the cookie jar they're putting the cookies in the right places so that your behavior is incentivized by positive reinforcement not just through negative reinforcement lastly they say here drop rates for enemies are not being changed at this time as we feel they are balanced quite well for the average player experience rip that captain rest in peace that captain so they feel that the drop rates for the average player are balanced. I would tend to agree with them. I spent a ridiculous amount of time yesterday farming the one captain, and it's like, you're not getting a high turnover rate, okay? It's not, truth be told, the captain farm is being left in because they know it's fun for now, the drop rate's low enough, and you ain't gonna do that in the main game. Trust me, I, I don't see this being the normative behavior once the full game launches. That's why they're not patching it, because it would probably mess with things later on in the game once fully launched. I think this is good insight into what they want for farming, but also what they want to avoid in certain aspects of the game and missions. This is an insight into their loot philosophy. You have to protect players from themselves to a certain degree. I think it's glib and disingenuous and honestly kind of ignorant to be like, just let us play however we want. They can't do that. If suddenly you found you could go into a room and pull a lever a thousand times in an hour and a chest would keep spawning for your buddies and you got all the loot in the game in a couple of hours, you can't like stomp your feet and be like, just let us play how we want. No, these games are built with rhythms and progression systems and and, and content loops that get completely destroyed if you let players cannibalize the game and they will. One of the guys behind the Loot 2.0 system in Diablo made this point when Anthem was struggling he said listen you have to protect players from themselves but you also have to motivate and incentivize the type of player that the, the type of play style and gameplay that you would like to see it's not micromanagement to say here's where all the good stuff is and then you say oh i'm gonna do that they're motivating you and incentivizing you to do those types of things it's the difference between micromanagement and incentivization second why is this important 
First and foremost, it's impressive to see quick response after just one week of the demo being out. Okay, Hopefully this is an indication and a glimpse into their response time to problems or issues in the game after launch. I don't know about you, but seeing a one week response after the demo comes out that is directly addressing other problems with some of the bosses were healing too often and some of their abilities were coming around too often and they were too effective. They're addressing a lot of things in just literally one week's time. That's actually really good to see because that shows their care, their passion and not only that, their awareness they're paying attention to the game they're monitoring what's going on Second, this is a great peek into how the devs see loot and its role inside the game. They don't want to discourage farming and put a stop to it, but they're not just shy about saying, listen, we're going to protect players from unhealthy routes, exploits, and shortcuts. That's transparent and decisive. These are two things you always want to see from a developer. Unlike another developer that constantly speaks in code and doublespeak, I found this update to be very transparent and insightful into why they're doing what they're doing and just being frank and honest about this is not the way the game is intended to be played and we're shutting this down. But at the same time, we're motivating you to go over here. There's stuff dropping over here. Lastly, loot pursuit, generosity, farming, and player agency are all delicate to balance in a game like this. Seeing a quick and transparent response from People Can Fly means they're dedicated to nurturing a good and healthy environment rather than a stretched or ignored one. We don't want them to ignore the game, but we also don't want them to just arbitrarily stretch things out so that people continue to play. They're wanting to foster a healthy environment in the game. Lastly, a potential future. Given that people can fly, have committed to adding more and expanding the game in the future, this quick and decisive patch shows that they are paying attention to shortcomings, player trends, and problematic loopholes. If any company wants to build a long-standing game with loot grind, they want to expand it, they need to both monitor and understand player behavior within the ecosystems and the loot quantities that they build. Pure, dedicated player hours alone can trivialize tens of thousands of developer hours. All it takes is one shortcut, one mistake, and the raw dedication of a player base can completely trivialize and dilute tens of thousands of hours of committed developer time just get shot to sunshine because we find out the fastest ways to go and the fastest routes to use. My hope for games like this is that they can deliver a good experience that lasts for a healthy amount of time and then it's possible, you know, if they can actually do it but they can't without a properly built game and subscription system. No game can truly be live service anymore, I don't think, without an actual subscription service of some kind. It might be time for a hybrid to be born, a middle ground game that launches complete, analyzes player behavior, and then expands itself in the future based on all the data collected, as opposed to what we've seen with Anthem, Division 1 and 2, Destiny 1 and 2, even Borderlands 3 recently, I think this is a better approach and we might see more games taking this route and this plan of, if it's commercial success, monitor everything and let that be your foundation scaffolding and sort of your archetype, your blueprint for future expansions and pieces of content. We're going to transition to Q&A. If you're in the live audience, hit like, uh, hit subscribe and the bell button. That supports me. If you're listening elsewhere, you can always check us out live at sntrlive.com. And don't go anywhere. We're about to switch over to another segment. Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of SNTR Presents. This is going to be the Q&A session that followed my talk about the 
patch to one of the legendary farms in the Outriders demo. If you're listening to this anywhere else, you can always catch me live at sntrlive.com. sntrlive.com will bring you right to the YouTube channel where I do these streams throughout the week. And we're just going to dive right in. These Q&A sessions are a little less frequent. We're trying to think about how we want to do that. And if you're listening to this recording in some of the other sources and locations, I know it's been inconsistent, but... Um, we're trying to think about like the live audience and the live format and maybe ways to record more as Q&A hasn't been happening as often because sometimes there's just no questions submitted. We have such a lengthy discussion in the morning with the polls and the comments that sometimes we just don't really need a lot of uh, questions. So first question from Echo Hammer. That's, uh, that's Sven. Uh, what ideas do you think they could do with an expansion in terms of new modes, classes, and gear? Um, honestly, I think one of the best things that they could do is if you look at the format for the expeditions that they outlined, that would be your format. What you would do is you would take an entire, you know, I guess like a year and you would say, okay, we're going to build, we're going to build our, our expeditions with depth and substance challenge mechanics and all of that. We're going to modify it, build it, structure it, tweak it, whatever, around what we saw in the launch game, right? Because all of those expeditions, all of that, it all leads to, you know, the eye of the storm or whatever. That that would inform content structure, content depth, elasticity, and all that. As far as loot and classes, this is where I don't really know if that's their plan long-term. Because loot-wise... If they have an entire year to offer a whole new suite of legendary, you know, pieces of armor and and weapons, those legendary pieces of armor and weapons may get more traction if they're intended to be used with new abilities or new classes. Now, if you look at the skill trees and you look at the abilities, they're already pretty robust. So they could attack this from two fronts they could say hey everybody with existing characters you can jump right into these expeditions and just start grinding it out and go all the way to the uh you know to the to the structure that we have set up for um the the previous expeditions it'll be very very similar in structure and in and in depth and how long it lasts or whatever we also you know have three new classes that you can start brand new fresh um maybe even let you skip the campaign and you just start with like a level 30 character and you can just jump into the existing expeditions that were from the from the vanilla game or the new expeditions that are there. So I actually think this is where they could capitalize on both new players, existing players, returning players, whatever. That's a tall order. Everything I just outlined is a pretty tall order, okay? They put a lot of time and effort into the vanilla game. There's four classes, lots of different abilities, really expansive skill trees um, with with different themes. You know, there's the three lanes uh, in the in the skill trees. So in in that regard, it might be tough to be like, oh yeah, we're gonna have three new, you know, three new classes for whatever happens a year from now. Okay. Now maybe that's why they're waiting a year. 
because they might be thinking the same thing you're thinking right now yeah I don't know if I'd want to be using the same abilities same classes same characters a year from now when I jump into these new expeditions because then it might just sort of feel like yeah you know nothing really new I mean the expeditions would be fun and the new loot would be fun but there's always that fresh car smell that new car smell that fresh coat of paint where you have brand new classes and brand new abilities now this starts to get hairy and messy because right now there's four and let's say they added two or three well now you got six or seven classes which means legendaries that are added to the game that enhance abilities armor especially would be the main issue here most of the weapons don't necessarily seem to be focused on the legendary weapons that I've seen don't primarily seem focused on the classes themselves they seem to be sort of class agnostic which is good because they're weapons armor um does seem to fall into that lane now i don't know i've not looked at the armor pieces so somebody in chat might be able to help me out here is the legendary armor always class specific or is it also class agnostic is it just dependent upon well you get this skull helmet and this skull helmet when when worn on one of the four classes it's going to roll with different enhancements or is that skull helmet specifically used on the trickster and then enhances like the trickster you know abilities or whatever because that's what i've always assumed when i looked at the videos i'm like the legendary armor looks class specific it looks like oh that is something for the devastator because the one armor looks like literally like it's made from rocks and i'm like that's gotta be the devastator you're running around looking like a golem of 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 a bolt of boulder pieces so if that's true Okay. If that's true that armor is not class agnostic and armor is is leaning in that direction, the challenge, I think, is that you now would then have six classes, which means you'd need way more pieces of armor. They're going to make it hard on themselves to expand. So what I would think that they might do, as opposed to launching new classes... They would launch a new suite of abilities for the existing classes. So your Devastator would get a new suite of abilities. Four to eight, I don't know. Three or four. That might be easier because then you as the player would be like, oh, new stuff to experiment with, new stuff to try out, new legendary pieces of armor to enhance, augment, or change some of these new abilities. But I don't have to completely start over I'm going to change or modify a couple of things about my build to fold some of these new legendary pieces of armor and some of these new legendary guns in. These are all things that people can fly have to think about long term. Like if you're going to be updating the game a year from now and then they do it again and again and again, like periodically they just launch what you would consider to basically be an expansion. It's not a live service game. So these would likely be considered expansions with a new story and a reason to go and do these expeditions and a new sort of uh, a new culmination of those expeditions uh, I would say that that's got to be figured out in the next year they have to figure that layer of elasticity out the game having elasticity and agility is good but you got to be really really careful okay we're going to use the we're going to use the analogy of a rubber band Right? A rubber band has elasticity. It can be stretched. You stretch it too far, and it's going to break. 
dough if you're making like a pizza pie right you stretch that dough too thin and it's gonna break and there's gonna be all these holes in it and it's gonna look terrible and it ain't gonna work right if you stretch this too thin and they end up with six seven and eight classes it might start to dilute itself defeat its own purpose and then people sort of get paralyzed like i don't I don't need that many characters. My gosh, my goodness. I have too many characters. This feels like I'm starting all the way over. So my prediction or theory would be the most likely outcome would be that they would take existing classes and add a new suite of abilities and then maybe a whole new track on the skill tree um, to to experiment with that would be my theory on what's the what's most probable looking at the structure of the game now looking how it's built looking at how involved your build is going to be when you're in those expeditions it would be odd i think a year from now to be either starting all the way over or just grinding for more legendaries and guns to essentially do what you've already been doing okay that that is uh that's 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 what kind of how that's how I'm gonna that's how I'm gonna square this that's my answer that's how I think they're gonna handle expanding the game long term totally theorized totally based on what I see in front of me and not I don't have any inside information they've not said anything that I'm basing this off of off of I'm purely basing it off of the way the game looks now and the way they've structured it now and what that will likely look like uh, long term one year from now because they've indicated it'll be about a year uh, before they would do something like that. Uh, Dracus Pander with another que- with a question here. Hi Lono, what would you attribute Outriders devs' nimbleness to? Uh, why can't other devs be as responsive to needed changes, tech limitations, or philosophical stances? Well, what you need help with, buddy? You need paper. The the box is next to you. You got to lift the lid on your right. There you go. Lift the lid up, and the paper's inside there. You got it, buddy. Okay. It's like messing with my bags. Those bags are for the coffee, boy. Um, so if, if, if you're looking at other games more than likely you're thinking of one that we cover and played a lot on this channel and their tech is old and so is their engine and it's not super agile now they've said publicly they've made changes to smooth that process out but you are already seeing the minute you step into another game that is using more than likely a more modern engine and more modern dev tech they can make a change a week in they're like yeah, we're, we're just going to adjust that. Yeah, those aren't going to do that. Oh, that boss is a little annoying. Yeah, we're going to mess with his refresh rate. We're going to let we're going to mess with how often he can do that. It took him one week. It took him one week to assess those frustrations and criticisms from the community, those problems, and then they implemented the change. Okay, that agility is something I have highlighted very, very many times. We, when you have a game like this, you want it to have an innate sense of agility. It needs to be able to make quick pivots, make quick changes, make adjustments on the fly. Because if not, as we've learned from our own from our own experiences, you can literally have a problem, a busted build, a busted gun, you know, etc. You can have that for months, you know, sometimes almost a year. Right? They fix this in a week. They didn't just smack your hand either. Like, hey, stop doing that. They said, hey, we've adjusted these side quests. We've adjusted these side quests so you can go in now and rerun them. They're using a seven-year-old engine as well. 
Well, I mean, it's not the seven-year-old version. It's an is it an engine that's been around for seven years? I would imagine that the engine they're using now is is not in the literal sense seven years old. It's more than likely been updated, smoothed out, streamlined, whatever. Clearly, whatever they chose to build the game in is agile enough for them to make a change one week in, right? They they didn't they didn't go and say like oh hey we're 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 just gonna make a change to this one drop no they mess with the drops here they added drops there they tweaked how an, how a, how an enemy a boss how often it can do its ability like I don't know they've they they're they're clearly making changes quickly and not just minor changes you know what I mean so. Hex with the next question. Lone of the Devs said this isn't a live service game. However, do you think Outriders could benefit from becoming live service? We have to, you have to kind of understand when they say there's no live service features, the context of them saying that is that the game launches and it's complete. Okay? Game launches and it's complete and you don't have to think like, oh, in a month from now, they're going to tack something on. In a month from now, they're going to add more loot. They're going to add more armor or whatever. No, this is it. This is the game. So, it's a complete package. Now, a live service game, the way that they're avoiding the, 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 the definition, the identity, and the structure of a live service game that they are avoiding, we, I don't know if it would benefit from being a live service game. I don't. Because, okay, because we haven't finished it, played it, and we haven't seen what the expansion looks like a year from now. We we don't know. The expansion a year from now is a question mark. If the game is commercially successful, and it has a good player base, and it's got good data to inform future content structure, then we would have to wait until that launches. I can say from like a philosophical standpoint, they're probably going to make better content a year from now than whatever whatever they could make in a couple of months. All you have to do is look at uh, Division 1 and 2, Destiny 1 and 2, Anthem, to see that most of the time when they already have planned stuff a month or two, couple months down the couple months down the road, it's it's usually not tuned to where players are, where they will be. It's it's usually it's usually pretty thin. It's usually not all that substantive, you know. So for me, they're going to be able to craft and create content according to player behavior and player response. So the likelihood, if we're if we're betting on this, let's just say we're going to place some bets. The likelihood of whatever they build a year from now, okay? The likelihood of that being accurate and targeted at the player base and how they play that likelihood goes up the longer they wait to start or the longer they wait to start kind of like building it the likelihood of a game launching and then three months later shoving out some minor expansion shoving out some little like thing the likelihood of that being tuned and crafted to the player base, it's just really unlikely that's going to happen. All you got to do is look at the first end game deliverable of Division 1. Uh, you could look at the Dark Below in Destiny 1. You could look at how Borderlands 3 handled its end game when it launched. It was, it was all over the place. It wasn't built for how the players were playing. 
Also, don't forget live service for the general audience has become a pretty negative term considering it has become the definition of a cash grab and a not finished product like Fallout 76 Anthem. That is also true. From a PR, from a PR perspective and a PR standpoint, it really does it really does look like, man, live service means you're going to crank something out that's half-baked, not complete, and then, you know, and then, and then it's not, it's, it's going to, it's, it's basically going to be a piece of garbage is, 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 is what, is what a lot of people translate when they see a live service game. When they see a live service game, I think that's what a lot of people think. They're like, well, it's not going to be complete then. It's going to be some half-baked, half-baked piece of garbage, and then you're going to try and sell me a $10 expansion or a $10 season or a, or a pretty hat or a cute coat later on so that that's how you're going to make your money from me. Like That's what a lot of folks feel when they see live service. So that's actually a really good point, that, that live service is sort of becoming synonymous with half-baked goods. <laughs> you know? Table JFK. Should Outriders have a concept of gear retirement attached to at least the endgame loot, or rather, the most powerful loot currently available to obtain? Loot retirement doesn't matter in the in the, in the immediate future of this game it doesn't it does not now if you let's say they they do what i think they're going to do and a year from now they launch another suite of uh, of expeditions they launch 10 expeditions and then instead of the eye of the storm you go to you know you know the the, the the edge of the edge of the inferno okay instead of going to the eye of the storm we go to the edge of the inferno it's some chaotic place where the world is ruptured and there's all kind of craziness coming out of it and we got to beef up and you know get really strong to go and play there what they would consider doing is think of the game in stages so you level up to level 30 in the campaign and then the new uh, the post game content expeditions can take you up to gear level of 50 and then the 10 the 10 expeditions that come a year from now and the and the and the destination of you know the edge of the inferno that can take you up to level 60 or 70 so that it would it would work in stages so all of the stuff that you got in those expeditions in the in the eye of the storm would all be great up to level 50 it'd be great for rerunning that content but the new spaces in the new places would be dropping new loot and new items that are going higher in gear score you would naturally then shuffle forward into that loot and then take it into those new areas that is one way they could do it this that's just one way because as far as I can see, I describe the end game as being a contained end game. Okay, the way they've got these expeditions built, more than likely they're not going to be able to go in infinitely up in difficulty, right? So, so a year from now they can't just like infinitely go up in difficulty. Like, oh yeah, just keep raising the difficulty, keep adding challenge tiers, because then it'll drop stronger loot. There's a ceiling, right? It's like, well, no, it's it's. <laughs> there's a ceiling on how strong, how crazy, how how insane this stuff can go. So likely, the same thing would apply to the, to any new expeditions or things that they launch in the future. They would just need to make the new expansion have new currency to upgrade gear, so you cannot take old gear up in level for forever. 
Yeah, example. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sorry, I read example in the chat. Exactly. Again, now, this is delicate. This is delicate because, because, no doubt, you're going to have people saying, I can't believe this. This stinks. This is real frustrating. This means, this means that all this great stuff I grinded for and farmed for, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that in the new, in the new content. I can't take it in there. There would be people that would be pretty irritated about that. Understandable. It's totally understandable to think that like I spent the last year crafting a build, getting stuff, getting loot, feeling awesome. And all that stuff's kind of irrelevant in this content. It's very, very delicate. Like I said, I said that in my, um, in my talk, like, you know, player incentivization, player patterns, loot grind, substance, depth, longevity. It's a very, very delicate balance. One wrong move and people can either have a very, very trivialized experience where they can take ridiculous shortcuts and get stuff at an unbelievable speed and pace, which ultimately ruins and sours the game. Or, or you can, in an effort to keep from that happening, you can unintentionally trivialize everything they've worked on because it's like well we need people to shuffle forward we need people to go and get new stuff and care about the new stuff so it's a super super delicate balance because as we know from another game you could have power creep well the only way you're going to unseat the stuff people are using in the 13 expeditions in the in the in the eye of the storm the only way you're going to unseat those weapons is by giving them new weapons and gear that's stronger in the new content well, then that means the enemies have to be stronger. That means that the instances and in the fights have to be more challenging, or the new gear trivializes everything. It's a super delicate balance. Respecting what people have already done, incentivizing them to go and do new stuff, and the new stuff being fun enough, innovative enough, or cool enough that you just naturally and organically sort of put down what you've been using and shuffle forward. And you're doing it in a way where you don't feel like you're being forced or passively coerced. It's like, nope, I am choosing this out of of my own choice. It's really, really tough. It is. You're expecting a developer to spend a year on an expansion and then be like, no, yeah, it's fine. You can continue to use all your existing amazing top shelf perfect gear in the expansion. Yep, go right ahead. Here's here's how I would do it if I was going to try and straddle this fence. I would have the first let's just say there's there's 10 challenge tiers in the new expansion a year from now. I would have the first 5 challenge tiers totally doable, totally fine with existing gear. It can all be leveled up to adequately attack those challenge tiers. But once you tip over to the back half of those challenge tiers, you would feel the need and the and the push to start equipping new stuff that can go higher. Um, that's, that's what, I don't know. That's what I would do personally. Now, again, that's tough because you're still going to have people claiming you're, you are still, you are still going to have people claiming that that's disrespectful and that, you know, they can't use their gear and all the levels. Um, that is, that is certainly, that is certainly going to be a, you know, a potential reality that, that, that people feel. Like, they're going to feel as if, you know, this is kind of a bummer, man. I really wish I could continue using this stuff. 
Sounds like sunsetting. Right. Again, like I said, it's a delicate balance. How do you get people to shuffle forward? How do you get people to care about, like, I'm going to get the new stuff. I'm going to use the new stuff. I I, I care uh, about these things. It's tough. It really is. You can, you okay, so there's two, there's two possible realities here. In one reality, the, all of the new stuff's completely devalued. Why? Because they made awesome stuff for the vanilla game. And you can't just keep making awesome stuff. You've got a great build, great perk synergy, great loot, great gear. Okay? So that stuff can inadvertently just trivialize anything they try to make in the future. Any gun type, any ability, any build, any any synergy they try to come up with in the future might inadvertently be devalued by the fact that you found the really shiny treasure that they made in vanilla. So their new stuff can be completely devalued, which will land like a lead balloon. You'll be like, why am I going to buy this and play this? None of this stuff's that impressive. None of this stuff's that exciting. And then the player's frustrated. On the other side, the other ditch people can fall into is you devalue everything I earned and worked on. I can't use any of it. It's been devalued. It's been it's been sidelined. It's been retired or sunset. How do you how do you how do you thread this needle right in between those two ditches? Either the new stuff's totally devalued because they make dope stuff. They made awesome stuff for vanilla, so the new stuff's devalued. Or your stuff that you already have is devalued. It is a really, really tough ring of fire to jump through and not get burned on some side. It's tough. This is why you know I, I always felt like we gave we gave uh, we gave Bungie kind of a hard time. We're kind of unfair on it. It's like this isn't easy. <laughs> like there's not an infinitude of perks and powers and abilities out there. It's why I always was heavily in favor of elemental perks and elemental primaries and elemental perk innovation because I felt like that was going to give them a lot more latitude. Latitude, you know, so you could have like, you know, lat- latitudinal upgrades and changes so that it's cool and, and spicy and awesome but it's not devaluing and, uh, and, and uprooting existing cool stuff that you got you're better off not devaluing what people worked on versus worrying about what people uh, not going after the new stuff see but that's not true that's not true do you want to know why that's not true if, if, if they don't go after the new stuff guess what just happened your product just dropped in value and 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 marketable it's not marketable <laughs> it's it's marketability goes down when somebody gets their hands on it plays it reviews it and the public finds out well everything in there is not better than what i have now why in the frick am i going to buy that so your your product is now is now crap it's junk <laughs> nobody's going to nobody's going to pay for it they're in the business of getting you to buy stuff you, they're in the business to get you to buy new stuff, buy another expansion. They want you to keep playing. These are all this is all part of their business strategy. So, 
Thank you to everybody who's been watching the Upper Echelon video. If you only listen to my content in other locations, you can always go to Upper Echelon's video, or you can search on YouTube for the Say No to Rage Conspiracy. It's the first of many videos that are probably going to come out about everything, and it's a really, really good one. We're wanting to push that video to a, to a really, really high view count, so be sure to go give it some love, some likes, some comments, and share it with everybody that you know. <laughs> Mike Faz. Do you think they could add a version of Diablo Seasons? And if so, how would you like to see it implemented? Everything I've just outlined is essentially how I would want to see it implemented. An annual an annual suite of, uh, of expeditions. I think that'd be dope. If you do it too soon, it won't be deep enough, substantive enough, or, or, or have enough breadth to survive. So I would say an annual suite of... of uh, of expeditions would be dope. They'd be good. They'd be like, you know, because they say there's like mechanics and they're brutal. Bunch of mini dungeons and raids, right? With dope loot and fresh and cool new enemies, new loot, new stuff. That's what that's what I would say. I've not even played the game, but that's that's where I would probably land on it. Is take your time, do it annually, make it awesome. It would all. It would honestly feel like miniature sequels that launch on an annual basis. Darksider says, that sounds like a Destiny problem where people are too attached to their guns. In most games, people are not that attached to their gear and loot. Like in MMOs, people don't care that their old stuff is no longer used as they can farm for a new one. Destiny's the only game I notice that people are heavily attached to their gear. Some of that is tied to the fact that Destiny is the greatest shooter ever created. Destiny is literally the best first-person shooter ever created. With respect to, right? With respect to how the weapons feel, how the guns feel. It is it is unmatched. I have never, I don't know if I will ever play a shooter that feels that good. I have my doubts that somebody's ever going to get the secret sauce right. It just feels incredible. You right now can imagine and picture what the Fatebringer feels like. You know, you know. You know what it sounds like. You know what it feels like. It is the most satisfying shooter in existence. Nothing beats it. Nothing comes close. Titanfall 1 and 2 and Apex, they're they're close, but man, they're not there. It just doesn't feel as good. And so what ends up happening is the main catalyst of immersion for you is that gun, right? It's that gun. You're like, this gun is so good. And when you can't use it, it's, it gets weakened. They take it down a notch. My, when that happened with my sleeper, it's like it, it, it feels personal. It feels personal. In third-person games, in dungeon crawlers, in World of Warcraft, you know, EverQuest. No, you you are you love your loot. You spent a long time getting that loot, but it's not the same. It's not an extension of you. It's not the main catalyst point for immersion. The axe you're swinging in ESO, or you know the the whip that you're using in Minecraft dungeons or, you know, whatever you're, you, it's awesome. And you like to see the efficiency go up and the power go up, but you're, you're not sitting there thinking, man, if they ever take this away from me, I'm going to be devastated. It's not the same. It is not the same. You can just see in the way that people have played destiny, that they grow very attached to their loot. They would like my man, Bobby Drake coming in with a membership. Thank you. And thank you for ordering the coffee earlier as well. Bobby Drake. Um, we are really close to unlocking emo. We need like 11 people. Um, Destiny guns are unique, but I would never put them as the most satisfying. 
I cannot think I've never seen a game named that is a more satisfying shooter. The way a gun feels, the recoil, the sound, the way a gun feels, the way shooting feels in Destiny, I have never played a game that feels better. I've been playing shooters since Wolfenstein 3D. I've never touched one that feels as good. Titanfall 1 and 2 came real close. It came real close. But there's st- it's just, I don't know. There is a secret sauce in there. Halo? Absolutely not. No. Not even close. Not even close. No. No. Not Halo. No. It's not close. I would say Titanfall 1 and 2 felt better than Halo. Valorant? Counter-Strike? No. 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 You're biased because of Bloom, Harry. You're... Your competitive anti-bloom brain is so biased here. Nothing touches destiny, man. I'm telling you, nothing. We got to move on. I don't want to debate that. It's subjective. It's subjective. But I think that point is very important. Even if you're going to sit here and claim there are games that feel better, you have to concede. You have to concede how good destiny feels. Even if you think there's other games that better, this is one of the best. So you got to admit that, okay? We don't have to agree on what the best one is. This is a top shelf front runner. Top five, top three, greatest feeling shooter ever created. And that has an enormous impact on your attachment to loot. So it's possible that in a game like Outriders, maybe people will be more willing to put loot down after a year of using it. They'll be like, you know what? (laughs) That's totally fine by me. I am sick of using this shotgun. I am sick of using this weapon or whatever. So I, I would say, I would say that yes, the attachment to loot is likely a, an enormous factor here. Crow with the next question. How do you feel about the replayability of the game without live service? I actually like contained games with satisfying loops, right? I do. I like a contained game with a satisfying loop. And the hope would be the hope would be that they would create something that's big enough and deep enough that um they would they would make anybody who plays the game feel like, okay, I'm comfortable I'm comfortable putting the game back down for a time, taking a break, whatever it's actually okay to play games that way <laughs> see, this is something that I think happens, there's a lot of Destiny players in the audience Okay, there's a lot of you here, we all know it and truth be told truth be told I think that community more than any other community has developed an unhealthy default expectation and the unhealthy default expectation is if I'm not playing this in four or five months it sucks it's a dead game it that expectation is to be quite honest it's just delusional it is it's completely delusional that's not a that's not like a thing in most environments this is why live service games might be going the way of the dodo without a subscription fee Patrick coming in with a five spot. I'm still skeptical about its end game content and furthermore. I get that. I get that. 
I think live service games without a subscription fee are going the way of the dodo. I don't think they're tenable. I don't think they're sustainable. I think the death of Anthem is just the beginning of companies being like, we are not taking that risk. You're better off building a hybrid, something in the middle like Diablo or like what Outriders is attempting to do. Why? Think about the ROI and the more the it's less laden with risk to say we can market it package it it's a complete package it's good it's satisfying it will sell well we will make a profit and then we can decide what we want to do in the future depending on the commercial success the engaged player base and the longevity of the game that can inform what we do long term live service games are more than likely going away because they simply cannot survive without a subscription fee It just doesn't seem possible. You're going to have exceptions to the rule. Exceptions to the rule tend to prove the rule, right? You're going to have destinies. You're going to have warframes. But for the most part, you're not going to have live service games launching any longer. The way that Division tried to launch, the way that Anthem tried to launch, I don't think you're going to see games launching like that anymore. I think Outriders potentially, this isn't hype by the way, I think Outriders may be stepping out onto a new frontier of game design to say, this is a safer bet with respect to return of investment. It's also a safer bet with respect to quality of future content because you can more adequately create content for what the player base is doing and wanting because you're waiting to build it until you see, hey, we got two months of data. Now we know what to do next time. The next expansion, the next expeditions, the next loot cycle, it's going to be completely different. Or, it's going to be slightly tweaked. We got, we got it right. We did a pretty good job. So, I'm not trying to overhype Outriders. I just, I've looked at the, look at the pattern from games like Division 1 and 2, Destiny 1 and 2, Anthem. The pattern is, that this is a hard nut to crack. Outriders could potentially be setting a new a new archetype or a new blueprint for how to do a game that can be ongoing but the rhythm of ongoing is just more spread out. It's almost like a hybrid. It's like you're taking live service and you're taking single player sequel format and you're mashing it together and you're saying, "Yeah, it's going to be kind of like a live service game, but it's also going to be kind of like a single player game and like the sequel will come out a year later and be largely informed by player behavior and and the commercial success of what we launched. This is just a total theory and prediction I'm making about the industry based on covering one game for 5 six, for I've been covering Destiny for 5 or 6 years and I've watched all these other games try. It's like I don't know. This just is the sense that I get that Outriders might be the first of many that attempt to forge a different path. Especially if it's successful, other games will follow suit. Especially when they realize, wow, that is a lot less risky. (laughs) It's a lot more, you know, it's a lot more of a sure way to hit return of investment and sales projections. (laughs) You know? Uh, McDiesel, my biggest fear is having to grind out four different characters, go through four campaigns, just to get to the end of the game for all. Have the devs addressed shortcuts for repeat characters? They have not. They have not. Here is something I'm going to push back on. This is actually okay. 
this is actually 100% okay, and I'm going to tell you why. Because it's like putting on a new pair of shoes, okay? You put on a new pair of shoes, they're not quite as comfortable as the ones you've been wearing, but you need to wear them, you need to go on, you know, walks, you know, you need to wear them to work, you need to break them in. Why? You have to get kind of acclimated to them. There is a similar thing that happens when you switch from your totally maxed out awesome technomancer to a trickster. You got to get in the rhythms. You got to get you got to ease into the abilities, the pool, the the loot that you get that complements those abilities. You got to experiment. It's it's a you're getting you're getting sort of wooed and romanced by the class. Oh, I really like this. Ooh, this with this type of weapon. That's nice. Okay? You're easing into it. You're getting acclimated. Okay? I get it. I get it. Running through that 30-something, 40-something hour campaign that many times, it can be a little grating. I understand. I don't necessarily know if there's a better way. I think there's something good... I think there's something good about having a character do that. Shared loot can be a shortcut. Your maxed out character can craft for your new guy. I think what he's addressing, though, is the fact that you still have to level the character. You still need XP. You'll still need to upgrade the skill tree. You still need to go through the campaign. Don't look a... uh, What's... How do I even want to say this? Um... I don't know how I want to say it. It's like, it's like getting a, it's like getting a sweater for Christmas. If you really like clothes and you get a sweater for Christmas, that doesn't mean if there's three more pieces of clothing under the Christmas tree, you're like not interested in them. Does that, does that make sense? That's not the best analogy. The picture I'm trying to paint here is it's actually pretty good to have that replayability and that's that newness of like, I'm going to do it again with this character. I'm going to do it again with this character. That's a value to you. Whether you see it as a value or not, it's a value to most players to be like I'm I'm going to I'm going to replay this. It's going to it's going to feel fresh and new with this character. The combat's going to feel a little bit different. And you know, you'll be quicker at it. You'll know how quickly you can do stuff. You'll be it's fun. I actually kind of liked it. I was like, I know this mission. I know where to go. I'm going to blast these guys with my new ability. I've not played with this guy. You go boom, 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 You know, wah, 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 wah. I've been watching uh, Superstore. <laughs> Freaking Bo. Um, yeah, play up. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Such an idiot. Anyway, you kind of know where the, where the enemies are coming. So it's called Don't Look a Gift Horse in the Mouth. I don't think don't look a gift horse in the mouth is fitting for what I was trying to communicate. I'm, a, I'm familiar with that saying. I, I don't think that's what I was looking for. For years you've been saying that having to replay Destiny campaigns was annoying. How is this different? It's different because you're slowly upgrading and leveling up the character and unlocking abilities. We When I had to do that in The Taken King, when I had to do that um, in Vanilla, it wasn't that bad. It's terrible in an expansion. It's terrible in an expansion because you're not doing anything. You're just going through the motions. It's not bad when it's woven into you leveling up the character, getting new stuff, and experimenting with builds. I don't I don't mind it when it's like that. When I go into an expansion and I'm basically not upgrading or leveling up anything, I'm literally just hearing the same dialogue over and over again and getting a few drops here and there. 
That's why I was always in favor of resetting the game, because then greens and blues and whites matter again. It's exciting. It's fresh. Uh, Gilly with the next question. Would you be interested in adding more tiers and expansions and have top-end gear exclusive to them? I, I can't answer this intelligently because I haven't been... I've not, I don't know what the end game feels like. I think there's a ceiling on how far you can take it, though. They probably built expeditions from the top down. Like, this is what it's going to feel like at the highest challenge tier, and then you just... You whittle it down. That's I would hope that's how they built it, which means there's a, there's a natural organic ceiling to just how high they can do that. You know what I mean? Is he interrupting Chad again today? Yeah, sorry, Chad. I'm interrupting your discussions. <laughs> Akuta Papa. Is it bad that I've been really loving the guns in Outriders compared to Destiny? I feel like each one's unique, even on the lower green and blue levels. Uh, this could be the grass is greener effect. I, I don't I don't feel the same way. Um, anytime you're playing a new game, it's it's automatically going to probably feel fresh, new, better, you know, whatever. So I, I don't necessarily think... I'm going to co-sign on that one. Uh, the guns feel awesome. The guns are definitely cool. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't, um, for, for, I don't, I don't feel that way, uh, about it. Um, so, so anyways, that was a great Q and a nice little 45 minute session. If you're in the audience, don't go anywhere. We are going to do that legendary farm again today. We're going to try a different captain today. We heard that there's one that's a little bit quicker, uh, and we're going to try that one today. We're probably not going to do any more gameplay of Outriders next week unless something significantly changes or they do some surprise or something. Um, we got a lot of other games, indie games and stuff that we can use and play next week on the gaming channel. So don't go anywhere. We got gameplay coming up of Outriders that we'll be diving in and doing, uh, as well as more discussion and back and forth, as well as the poll. We want to continue to see people's results and, and votes on our, uh, on our poll, so use that command if you're listening elsewhere you can always catch me live at sntrlive.com as always please like share and subscribe